The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Eight years. It's hard to believe. I look at my oldest boy who is seven, and it's hard to, to think back to remember even. It seems like it wasn't long ago at all even, but to think it's been before he was born that I first came here. And it's confusing eight years here, but five years now it's been as senior pastor. Um, three years as, as associate pastor. And, and I can say uh, just thank you from the bottom of my heart for your grace, for your love and kindness that you show to my family, my kids. Uh, there is no, I don't think any pastor in all the, the country has it better with a church that loves them and loves your family like I do. Uh, I, I thank you for that. I thank you for a group of people that want to hear the word preached every morning that I don't have to feel timid about uh, thinking I'll, I'll face uh, pushback for preaching the Word, and a group of people that want to hear God's Word. And so there's a great freedom, a great joy in preaching to such a group of people. Uh, Acts chapter 6 this morning. Acts chapter 6. This church has always been, even as I was just mentioning, a church that loves the Word of God, and that loves to hear the Word of God. And so you may think, why do we have deacons? The, the simplest answer, honestly, is because of the Word of God. It says that a church ought to have deacons. We are a church uh, that believes the Word of God is God's Word. Uh, we believe that God's Word is what ought to be the authority over us. Uh, all throughout church history, some churches along the way got it reversed where they began to teach and preach the church is the ultimate authority. And the church is necessary to interpret God's Word, and therefore the Bible isn't really even for the common folk. It's for the, the, the hierarchy of the church to read and interpret for the people, and, and that is wrong. Uh, that is a great error from which great abuse and great doctrinal error has come. Uh, the Word of God is the ultimate authority over the believer and over the believers uh, corporately, the church. Even this morning, I sit under the Word of God. Trinity Baptist Church sits under the authority of the Word of God. You, as an individual believer, sit under the authority of the Word of God. And so as I preach, the authority that I bear only comes from the Word of God and when I speak forth from the Word of God. So why do we have deacons? Simply put, because the Word of God says that is one of the offices of the church. The Word of God teaches there are two ordained officers of the local body of believers. One being that of bishop, overseer, uh, shepherd, pastor is our common terminology. All of those words defining the one office of a preacher, pastor, overseer of the church. And then the second is that of deacons. I want to answer just a couple more questions really briefly for sake of time this morning regarding uh, what a deacon is, what a deacon does. And then who should be a deacon within a church? And then we're going to bring forth Kyle Shepherd, uh, whom the, the deacons and even a, an ordination uh, committee has examined and found uh, to be one that God has placed his hand upon to fulfill such a role here among us at Trinity Baptist Church. Uh, first question that I want to answer from Acts chapter 6 is what is a deacon? Uh, it's good when we want to know what something is, to look to the start of it, look to the foundation of it, and, and though it may not match completely and identically in the culture of that day and age, that is the foundation. Now, that's the starting place from which we gain an understanding of what a deacon was and its origination when it was created by God for the church, 
And therefore, everything that a deacon is today ought to flow in some way, shape, or form uh, from that originating purpose. Acts chapter 6, let's read verses 1 through 6. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, I'm going to just add a little commentary as we go along. Acts chapter 6, we're picking up in the, the beginning of the New Testament church, and many people have come to faith in Christ. Uh, the church is growing exponentially here in Jerusalem. And what happens with the multitude of people that had come to Christ and formed this body of believers? There arose a complaint. <laughs> Some people, the Hebrews, the, the Hellenists here, had a, a complaint. Why? Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And so in that day and age, there was no welfare, there was no way of of those who were the least of the society to be fed. and to, um, If you were a widow especially, you couldn't work most of the time at all. There was no way if there was not a child or a close family member to take care of you and the husband passed away. Um, that woman was often left destitute, often left uh, with an inability to provide even her own food. And so the church rightly recognized the need and they were providing food. They were providing and a benevolence uh, for these widows. However, a complaint arose because the Hebrews that were Hellenists, that's those that more embraced the, the Roman Greek culture, uh, they weren't as much traditionally Hebrew in their day-to-day -day living. Uh, there was a separation of these sort of classes there within uh, the, the Jerusalem, even in that day and age. And they felt that they were being... They weren't being treated as well. They weren't being as provided for as the more traditional Hebrew widows. And so a complaint arose. And for all we know, it is a valid complaint. Perhaps this was true. Uh, likely was that in the multitude of the need, with the, the, the many, many widows they were taking care of, there was a group that was more connected, that was being better taken care of, than a group that was a little bit more of an outside group that was not as well being taken care of. So what did they do? Verse 2, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so the disciples who were preaching and who were teaching and laboring and preaching and in teaching and in prayer and the, the time that that was taking within the limited day that they had recognized there's a need within the church, recognized there is some contention arising and, and there is a need for somebody to make sure things are being done fairly. There was a need for somebody to step forth to be a help to, to pastorally help, to ministerially help within the physical needs even of the church. And so God laid it upon their heart that they were to call out these seven men. These seven men full of wisdom, of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, believers that, that the church could look up to and, and could rightly expect even a heart of, of humility, a heart of compassion, a heart of service to meet the needs of the congregation. And verse 5, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and uh, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. 
And the result, then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. God blessed this. And as the disciples were able to spend more time in preaching and in study of the Word and in prayer, the deacons came alongside them to assist in the the ministry to the congregation, to the needs of the people. What is a deacon? The word literally could be translated into our our English, servant. That's literally what the root word means. Uh, Diakono, it means to serve. Uh, the, the, The Common terminology even given here would be a table waiter, one who waits the tables to to help provide the food that was needed as they were handing it out. Now the world would look at such a position, and the world would demean such a position. The world would think it to be a lowly thing to serve. And yet we see Christ Himself said, I came not uh, to be served, but to serve, to give my life even in service for my people in the kingdom of God to be low is to be exalted, to be humbled is to be lifted high, to be a servant is really to be the, 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 the king, the queen, so to speak, within the kingdom of God. It is the highest ministry to which God calls us. A deacon and the foundational concept of what they are, that they're servants. They're meant to serve within the body and serve within, even as the body reaches out into the community, to serve to help the church meet the needs of people. So what do they do? They serve, obviously. It's kind of a kind of common sense answer. They, they serve the church. They serve to meet the needs of the church. But a letter I shared with you written very, very early in church history. I shared it a couple of years ago when we were de- doing a deacon ordination. But I find it interesting. Like, How did the first century view the ministry of what a deacon was and what a deacon did? We've got a letter written by Clement. Uh, to James, dated around the, the turn of the first to second century. And, and here we read these words about deacons within the church. Deacons are to inform the pastor of the people's needs and sins. And deacons are, they, they, they're a pastoral shepherd, so to speak, an under-shepherd even, that, that, that not in a gossipy way takes account of sins, but recognizes the needs physically and spiritually within the congregation and with the pastor and with the pastor, pastors, the pastoral staff, assists to help meet the needs of the congregation. It continues to, to control disorderly people during the church services. I don't know what was going on there in that time and that day and age, but uh, I would hope if anybody comes to try to take out the pastor, Brother Charlie, you're going to jump up and um, come to my defense. We do have a security team. But, but that was part of the early and the early conception of the church, what a deacon would do. And then to report to the congregation on those who are sick and need help. And so not only are they reporting to the pastors, but they report to the congregation that we may meet one another's needs within the congregation of believers, within the family of God. Deacons are to serve the church. And if we look to our Trinity bylaws that give a an explanation modern day of what a deacon is to do based upon what we're looking at. It says deacons are to serve the membership, pastor, and staff by leading by example in the promotion and achievement of the church's mission as established by the pastor and staff following the example set forth in 1 Timothy 3, 8-12. through 12. We're going to read that in just a moment. They are secondly to be proclaiming the gospel to believers and unbelievers. And then thirdly, they are to be caring for the church's membership and other persons in the community, and then lastly, working with the pastor and implementing the church's functions. 
And so practically, just so you get an idea at Trinity what a deacon does, uh, they really do whatever we call on them to do. <laughs> whatever we have a need for within the congregation, within the ministries of the church, they're my first line of, of defense, so to speak. They're the first call that I'll make. Hey, we need some help here. Do you mind assisting? What do some of those things look like? Well, sometimes they help with a benevolent need within the church or within the community. Sometimes they help at different functions that we have where we need a hand. Sometimes, uh, usually, not sometimes, but all the time, even weekly, they're making phone calls and helping to keep touch with those that are uh, widows and those that are shut-ins, those that might be less connected to the church that we need to reach out to. They uh, make hospital visits and do other sorts of visitation as is needed. And so really, whatever needs arise, where we as a pastoral staff that, especially, you know, those that are preaching and teaching, so you don't get so burdened, especially with a congregation of our size, that me as one person or even us as four pastors trying to, to provide ministerial to the needs of a congregation of our size and not only a congregation of our size, but also a community uh, that needs the love of Christ and needs the gospel. Uh, they come alongside um, and they're there to help, to serve, to assist and whatever needs arise. So one final question, who should be a deacon? 1 Timothy chapter 3, flip over where 1 Timothy, Paul records for us the qualifications for a deacon. And I just want to read through these this morning. The Bible speaks clearly to what we ought to look for within a person as we think about who we ought to ordain, who we ought to call, set apart as a deacon. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 after having just given the qualifications for uh, the position of bishop, of overseer, of pastor, he says these words, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Now, blameless does not mean perfect. Blameless does not mean past faults or sins. Blameless means in the current state that they are a person who's living for the Lord, who's not got any known public sin in their life. Let them be found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Uh, the wife, along with the deacon, um, deacons all will testify of how God has blessed them and with their, their wife to be a part of the ministry as a deacon. There's a qualification given here because the life of a deacon has a great ministry within the church also. For those, verse 13, or sorry, verse 12, let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so... To set forth a deacon, to ordain a deacon, those are the characteristics, those are the qualifications that we would be looking for. Now, at Trinity Baptist Church, the way that a deacon is um, brought and nominated uh, to be considered for ordination originates within the congregation. Over the past number of months, names were brought forth, uh, presented to our current deacon uh, body in order to, to go through those names and and that after praying through the names and after reaching out to a number and, and just seeking the Lord through this process, uh, God laid it upon our heart to reach out to Kyle Shepherd, uh, believing that Kyle is one who meets these qualifications and the way that he has led his family and the way that he has been faithful here in this place. 
And I've known Kyle for many, many, many years. I grew up together. Um, and I have seen his pursuit of God, and even within his family now, uh, his leadership within his home, his leadership within the ministries of this church. And so an uh, ordination uh, committee was formed and questioned and examined him, and we found him um, worthy of, of this ordination by the grace of God, uh, that he meets these qualifications. And so as we go forward to this ordination, you say, what is an ordination? An ordination is simply the church recognizing the call of God upon a person's life, recognizing that in their understanding that person meets the qualifications as set forth by the Word of God. And it's, it's really a setting apart of that person to the work to which God has called them. And so we, we will come up and have Kyle and his wife come up and we'll lay hands on Kyle and we'll, we'll say a prayer of consecration, of, of separation, or even our laying our hands upon him as a symbolic act of, of setting him apart. That, that we as Trinity are, are ordaining Him, recognizing this call of God upon His life to be a deacon here at Trinity Baptist Church. And so I want to ask now if our deacons would come forward, and I'll read their names, even as all of you can come forward, but Adam Brown is currently serving, Brad Collette, Stan Crawford, Randy Hans, Don Hatfield, Marty Hubbard, Frank Michael, Bobby Pickett, Jerry Snyder, and Charlie Van Zant. Uh, Kyle and Wendy, if you would, come forward as well. We at Trinity serve actively within our deacons on a three-year rotation. And so all of these men serve in an active capacity for three years, and then they rotate off. And, and every year or every other year, they take a year off, and some will rotate. So we do have a large number of other ordained deacons. Go ahead and sit right there dead center. We do have another of, uh, a large number of other ordained deacons within the congregation. And I want to ask if you would as well, if you have served as a deacon, at Trinity Baptist Church, if you would come forward as well and be a part of this as we lay hands on Kyle and ordain him to the ministry this morning. Um, other pastoral staff, if you would come forward as well. If you would, deacons, let's just gather around Kyle. And I'm going to ask if Brother Charlie, who is the chairman of our deacons right now, will lead us in prayer, and I'll close this out this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to give thee a leader need um, to this congregation and to our congregation. Uh, thank you for this church, for establishing this ministry that it is in this community. Pray specifically for Kyle, Kyle Shepherd, Lord, this morning, and his family as they come into this, because this is a, uh, a whole, all-in commitment. Uh, Lord, thank you for drawing Kyle close to you. Uh, thank you for giving him a heart to serve. Lord, and for giving this deacon body, Lord, the um, collective affirmation, Lord, Not so much as authority, Lord, but as service, service to your people, to you, to your people. So we just ask that every perfect blessing be upon his life, that you protect he and his family as they serve, and encourage them as they go. And pray these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Father, we come to You, Lord, and we do. Lord, thank You for Your calling to us, to represent You, Your calling of salvation, even that is upon us all that have come to Christ. Lord, none are worthy to be a child of God, much less to serve You in a capacity of being ordained or a deacon or ordained a pastor. So, Lord, it's all and only by Your grace, only by Your mercy. I thank You for Kyle, for Wendy. Lord, I thank You for their kids and the way that they're seeking you and following you. Lord, I thank you for their salvation. Lord, I thank you that you have moved upon this church to bring bring everything to this moment where we are, Lord, ordaining Kyle to the ministry of being a deacon, that we've recognized in his life those characteristics that are defined by your word that we see in his heart, a desire to serve you, a desire to follow you, a desire to serve your people, to serve your body, to serve Trinity. And so, Lord, we do ordain him now. We set him apart, even in this laying on of our hands, even in this prayer. Lord, we recognize that you are calling him to this. And we pray, God, be with him. God, lead him. God, guide him. God, direct him. God, protect him through all that is to come. Lord, we know as we serve you and as we seek to follow you even more, uh, that Satan is a roaring lion who seeks whom he may devour, even more so. So, Lord, we pray that you do protect him. You do just guard his heart, keep him from temptation. And we pray that you would give him wisdom as he continues to lead his family in a godly way. We pray that as he serves this body, uh, that you would help him to serve faithfully, to serve uh, with compassion, with grace, with mercy. Uh, Lord, to always be in remembrance of the gospel that has saved him and the gospel that can say, Lord, we, we thank you for Kyle, for his family. We uplift them to you. Lord, now we pray all of this in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. 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 Thank you. If our currently serving deacons would remain up front for communion. And Kyle, you as well. We now get to transition to a time of partaking of communion together. We've got a few minutes that I do want to share. In Romans chapter 5, before we partake of communion together. Open your Bibles there. Romans chapter 5. I want to remind us all of the grace in which we stand. That as we come to a time of communion, it's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to be taken flippantly. It's not something that we are to partake of in a way where our mind is is distracted by so many lesser, so many unimportant things, but it's really a time of of seriousness, a time of true reflection, a time of, of true remembrance. As we remember this morning the grace in which we stand. You're not here because of who you are. You're not here because of what you've done. You're not going to stand before God someday say, have not I done this and this in your name? Well, the only thing that we will say when we stand before God, those that truly know Him, is there was a body broken and there was a blood shed for me and my sin. And I don't deserve it. And I, don't, I haven't earned it. But by your grace, by your mercy, because of what Jesus has done, uh, we're children of God. We, we know Him. We are We are saved. We are redeemed. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Justified means having been made right in the eyes of God. 
that you're not made right by your works, by your religion, by your own righteousness. How are we justified? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Be reminded as we partake of communion that the only way we have come to God, the only way that we will enter into the kingdom of God, the only reason that you are a child of God, that you are saved and you're redeemed, you're forgiven this morning, is the grace of God poured out for us through the blood of Christ, through what Jesus Christ has done for us. In Him and through Him and only in Him and only through Him do we find redemption? Go to verse mm, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, unable to save ourselves in due time, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated His own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. As you partake of this bread, this broken cracker, your mind ought to think about the body of Christ that was broken upon a tree for you. It was broken upon that cross. Especially if we hold that cup and we drink of the cup, your mind ought to reflect upon the blood of Christ that was shed for the remission of your sins. That, that you know, believer, you're not... You didn't make your way to God because of who you are, because of your own righteousness, because of your own works. By the grace of God through faith in Christ, and only by grace through faith, have you come to God. And it's only by grace through faith that you stand before God, even now. And that's what we confess as we partake of communion. There is a remembrance as we think back to the cross, but there's also a confession. There's a declaration as you, again, partake of the body broken and the, the blood shed. It's not that it saves you. It's not that it adds unto your salvation, but it does make a loud proclamation to everybody. I'm under the blood of Christ. I have believed upon Christ as Lord and as Savior. And so if you're here and you're not saved, if you're here and you're one that's just kind of inquiring and God's at work in your heart, I pray, leading you to Christ, but you've not yet come to Him, it would be, uh, it would be a lie for you to partake of communion. It would not be a right proclamation because you are not His yet. And so for you to eat of the body and drink of the blood would, it would be untrue. And so I would ask of you, if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, this is really for believers. This is for the children of God. It does not save you by eating of this bread and drinking of this cup. It's not going to save you. You need to turn to Christ. You need to repent if you don't know Him and believe upon Him. Call out to God and say, will you save me? You save me because of what Christ did. I know I'm only justified through Him. If you've never turned to Him and believed upon Him as Lord and Savior, I'm going to pray in just a moment. 
And I would ask that as I pray, you would pray and do so. And then you can partake of communion rightly and make the right proclamation, the right confession that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that you are rightly to have eaten of His body and drank of His blood. But it is for believers. But it's also for believers who are right with the Lord and truly following Him. Paul warns about that, that we aren't to take it flippantly, that we're not to partake of communion with sin in my life. And so as I pray in just a moment, asking God's blessing upon um, this bread and this cup, I would ask that you pray if you need to confess sin. Uh, pray if you know there's something in your life that isn't right with the Lord right now. Get that resolved um, before we partake together of this communion. Let's go to the Lord, and I want to ask if you would just bless bless our time of communion. Um, bless the body, the bread that represents the body broken. Bless the cup that pictures for us the blood of Christ. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and we do thank you for your grace. Lord, the grace that we are standing in right now. Whether it's a person that just recently has come to you through Christ, or whether it's some who have been walking with you in Christ for, for decades. Lord, we, we never come to you in our own. We never come to you in our own righteousness by our own works. We always, always can only approach you through Christ because of your love, because of your mercy, because of your grace, the grace in which we stand. Lord, I pray you would keep us from arrogant pride, from spiritual pride, where we Lord, so many who have known you for, for a long time, we can so easily begin to think it's of us. And Lord, it's because of us. Keep us from that, Lord. Forgive us for those times that we've let pride creep into our spiritual life. And even now, in this moment, humble us again as we are reminded it took, it took Christ's body broken upon a cross. Lord, it took His blood to be shed in order for me to be saved, in order for any to be saved. Lord, if there be one here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I do pray even now they would, they would see the beauty of Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected. Lord, that they would see even from your word that we just read, they need Christ. They need what he did for them upon Calvary. Not, not church, not religion, not, not turning over a new leaf in their life. They need repentance and belief in the person and work of Jesus. Lord, I pray even right now that your spirit has brought conviction upon their heart that they are repenting and believing upon him as Lord and Savior. Lord, we ask you to bless this uh, communion. Lord, the, the bread that pictures for us the body broken, uh, the cup that pictures for us the blood that was shed. Lord, sanctify us through even this communion. We pray, grow us in the grace in which we stand. We ask it all in Jesus' precious Holy name.